Amen. We're going to hear God's word from Mark 4 verses 1 to 20, but let me first set the scene a little bit. We've been going through the gospel of Mark uh, for, I don't know how long we've been doing it, but we have been going through the gospel of Mark. And and so far we've met a a number of groups and a number of responses we have seen to the gospel uh, or to the preaching, the ministry of Jesus Christ. And, uh, And most disturbingly, I think we saw last week how Jesus' own family came to say that Jesus should come home and have a cup of tea because he's a lunatic, he's insane. That's, that's one of the responses. But we've seen two other responses that's a bit more familiar to us, perhaps. It's that of the crowds that followed Jesus because he was this amazing miracle worker and he could heal their diseases and he could help them out of all kinds of trouble. And we saw the response of the Pharisees, those that just cold-heartedly and completely rejected him. And so now Jesus is going to make sense in chapter 4 of these three different responses that his disciples have seen to Jesus' ministry. And the question that you are going to be faced with is, how do you respond to Jesus? And, and before I hear you say as a Christian, someone who attends church and so on, that look, this sermon is then obviously not for me. I have responded to Jesus when I became a Christian or when I accepted the promises that God placed on me from child, childhood. Uh, I have responded. So really, I should drag someone else along to come and listen to this sermon. I want you to hear that every day, every hour, every minute, every moment, you have to choose how you will respond to the Word of God. How will you respond to the seed of the Word? How will you respond to Jesus? That's the question you have to constantly ask yourself. Because you know, as I do, that we harden our hearts to the Word as it comes to us. Or we take the word in just superficially, just below the surface, but we don't do anything with it. In fact, we're just waiting for it to shrivel up and die. Or we take the word in, but we put it alongside other idols, and so eventually it gets strangled. But what we are called to do in this passage is take the word of Christ deep into our hearts. So children, please, as you listen to this passage being read this morning, if you're old enough to write, Please copy a passage or copy a, a verse from here. I'd suggest verse 11. I'll get to it and then point it out. Or draw pictures. Pictures of the four kinds of soil. You hear me mention four kinds of soil. A sower is going along the ground and there's four types of soil. He's sowing seeds and it lands in four different places. And you might want to draw four different pictures of the four different kinds of soil. And your parents might have a good conversation with you afterwards uh, about those four kinds of soil. So. Here's God's word from verse 1. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. That's the first one. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up, increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you, 
has been given, and so this is the verse, if you can write that, I would like you to copy, but to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter it and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And we praise God for his living and active word. So children, you might uh, take this up now and draw those four types of soil, the, soyer, uh, soy, the, the sower as he's sowing into those four types of soil. Uh, and I'd love for your parents to send pictures to me on WhatsApp uh, about that. And, and to adults, I think you need to recognize that this is an incredibly simple parable. On face value, it is, it is obvious, obvious, obvious what is going on here. Uh, and it's a familiar scene to anyone in an agricultural uh, uh, environment. Um, but because we live in a city, don't exclude yourself from trying to understand this parable. Because remember, Mark was Peter's, the Apostle Peter's apprentice. And Peter was ministering in Rome. And Mark is summarizing Peter's ministry. So Peter was using this parable in the city as he was going around preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And certainly we know that although we don't understand an agricultural background, we are entirely dependent on agriculture, as we found out as we've looked for flour during this lockdown period. Uh, we are extremely dependent on, on the fruit that the earth produces. And, uh, and as we find out in this passage, that fruit has an origin. It starts somewhere. Well, it starts with a sower. It, starts, it doesn't start with a sower, actually. It starts with the seed. And it is the sower that takes the seed that's, that sows it into the soil that produces the fruit. And so this sermon is going to follow this very simple three-pointed, uh, these uh, uh, the very simple three points. The sower, the seed, and the soil. And so the sower. What do we learn about the sower? Well, it's obvious Jesus is the sower. That is the point he's making with his disciples. He is the sower and the crowd is the soil and the words coming from his mouth well that is the seed and so the next question we need to ask is but what type of sower is jesus and the context of this passage is brilliant when we see just what type of sower jesus is the crowd was so large that jesus eventually had to go stand a little boat so he's this we know from just a few chapters later jesus will feed five thousand heads of households, so it means that there's more households with these heads of households, so about 15,000 people. This is a massive crowd of people that's following Jesus. And so here is Jesus. He is the sower of the seed, the words coming out of his mouth, and he's sowing it to a massive crowd. And so the first thing we need to see 
of Jesus is that he is an indiscriminate sower. Some would say he's a careless sower. Uh, I don't understand my agriculture so well, but I certainly know that when uh, a farmer puts the seed in a container behind his tractor and he drives through a field, it has a little spindle at the back that throws the seed here, there and everywhere, it just goes everywhere. Uh, now, he somehow, he, he sort of manages where he sows his seed based on where he drives his tractor, but, but a lot of the seed goes everywhere. It goes onto the sides of the arable land, into the path, the road, the service roads, it, it goes everywhere. And what we learn about Jesus here is he's not, he's, a, he's not a careless sower, he's just a generous sower. He's an indiscriminate sower, he's a lavish sower. Uh, and, and he's sowing the seed of the word all the time. We've seen that he would minister after he's exercised the demon from someone in the synagogue. He goes home and he ministers there to Simon Peter's mother. And then the whole crowd comes in late into the evening and ministers to them. And then in the morning he went off to go find some some solace in quiet and, uh, and on his own, but soon the disciples find him and he just keeps ministering. In fact, we've met earlier, he tried to minister, but uh, he tried to, to just grab something to eat, but he couldn't get something to eat because there was no time. He was ministering all the time to everyone, everywhere. That is the point of Jesus. He is just indiscriminate in the way that he does this. But if Jesus is the sower, we know that he equipped and entrusted the seed also to his apostles. And we learn from his apostles how they viewed their sowing. What kind of sowers would they become? In 2 Timothy 4, Paul, an apostle who's been trained by Jesus, he says this to Timothy, who will become a pastor and teacher of a church in Ephesus. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. You can see that Jesus was a generous, lavish, indiscriminate sower. The apostles were lavish, generous, indiscriminate sowers. And the pastors, teachers that are risen up in their wake are to be lavish, uh, generous, indiscriminate sowers. And you too, as you hear the word this morning, are to be a lavish, generous, indiscriminate sower. I, I love visiting the Jessops when I get to their front door, even by their front door, looking through the window. There's a Bible verse that I'm confronted with that's in their window. Uh, uh, and sometimes it changes, but it's, it's great. And you come in, you see another Bible verse here, there or everywhere. Uh, we, we see that with our children as we teach them to memorize scripture, that sometimes I'll hear one of our children play uh, and they will either recite a portion of the Bible or they'll sing a song about the Bible. Uh, I, I hear and see that when I come and visit your home and perhaps on your phone you've got a backdrop where the portion of scripture is. Uh, I, I, please let that not just be window dressing. Uh, the, the key of this is constantly sow the seed of the word, the word into your heart. Be lavish, generous and indiscriminate with, with saturating yourself in the word of God. Now, for you, are that, for you that are not Christian, it's exactly the same advice. Please sow the word generously, lavishly and indiscriminately into your life. As you're perhaps reading a book on critical theory, why don't you take the Bible alongside it and, and think about these two things from that perspective. Perhaps as you're walking through, once we're allowed, a, a gallery or a, or a museum, uh, why don't you reflect on what you know about the history of the Bible as you reflect on it. Bring the Bible and the Bible's perspective into 
into the status quo, into the world that we live in, and see its power, because that's what I'm going to say. The, the sermon, although we've got three points, the first one being the, the sower and the last one being the soil, you know sandwiches becomes better based on what's on the inside. It is the seed that's right in the middle, and it's what's on the inside that has the real power, and we'll get to that in a minute. But sow the word abundantly into your heart. Use the church devotionals that we send on WhatsApp. Uh, read the Bible program that we've got as a church. Uh, go and use the Legionnaire, Legionnaire, I don't even know how to say that word, website with all the resources that's on there. Just indiscriminately, just fill yourself, soak yourself up. In it. I've had a text message from, from Esther earlier. Uh, Jamie's mum is, is, she's just soaking it up. She is using the, 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 the teaching courses that we're doing on the Biblical Reformation and they live, they're not even close to the church. Soak yourself in the gospel. Devour it. Devour it. Just steep yourself in it. Be generous in the way that you take the Bible to yourself. So, generous sower, sow generously into your own heart. One last thing to say about this. Don't just sow the seed generously into your own heart, but be indiscriminate in how you sow the seed to others. Don't think that as you share the seed that you have sown into your own heart to someone else, they don't look like someone that might take the gospel on board, that they won't take the gospel on board. I have been surprised many a time where I share the gospel and I kind of met with a blank face and it looks like rocky ground, there's no response, there's no approval, there's no taking of it. And yet, months later, this person would say, that conversation we had really changed my life. Or, or that service where I thought the person was sleeping through it actually took it on and it changed their life. Uh, do not let circ uh, uh, um, appearances fool you, as we'll see from this soil in a moment. Sow the seed, sow it generously to yourself and to others. Who knows what might happen? Second point, the seed, the main point of this passage. And, and that's the problem with this passage. We read the passage and we do what I'm doing with the children today. We, we all focus on the soil, the four types of soil. Hang on, we can make a list. We can make a table. We can draw some pictures. Oh, that's great. And, but that's the point, is that the thing that should take the, the, the focus in this passage is the smallest thing. It's a seed. It can just sit in your hand like that. It's the seed that is the star of this show. So what about the seed? Well, the seed is the main point now the seed is a paradox and you've got to track with me here because i'm going to now give you three pairs of of words that i will explain later on but but this is what the seed is the seed is firstly vulnerable and resilient at the same time the seed is both needy and hardy at the same time and the seed is both weak and strong at the same time. Now, now let this just uh, go into your mind for a, for a moment. The, the seed is both vulnerable and resilient at the same time. It's paradoxes like this that always fries our, our brains a little bit and it's supposed to. Uh, this is the point. This is what this passage is trying to do. Its main question is, is how will you respond to Jesus? How will you respond to the seed? And will you take the seed and look at it and say it's vulnerable? Or will you look at the seed and say, this is resilient? Will you look at the seed and say, it's hardy, oh, it's needy, it's very needy? Or will you say this in, it's hardy? Or will you look at the seed of the word and say, it's weak, 
Or will you say the seed is strong? How will you respond to the gospel? Because the seed are both of those things at the same time. So we're talking about the seed. And we know what the seed is. The seed is the word of God. But when Jesus was ministering, we've got a little problem with our illustration, uh, especially Reuben, because Jesus, I said earlier, is the sower and the seed is his words. But in the same way that we can't really divide me from my words at the moment, in the parable, we can't really divide the sower from the seed. When Jesus is sowing his words, he is sowing himself. And that's why we say the seed is not just Jesus's words written in the Bible, Jesus's words both in the Old and the New Testament, but it is Jesus himself that is being sowed into our ears as we hear the word and as people heard him for the first time. So how will you respond to this seed seems to be the main question. So will you be Will it be hard soil that will make the seed out to be vulnerable? Uh, vulnerable to snatching, because that's what the devil apparently does in this passage, Jesus tells us. Will it be rocky soil that, that makes the seed needy for resources and eventually can't find any sustenance and then dies? Uh, or will you be weedy soil that, that, that puts the word in a fight with other competing idols in your heart? You see that the seed gets its power from the soil. Uh, and, and that's where we begin to make sense of this enigmatic phrase that Jesus uses uh, in what's at verse 10 and 11 that the children are some of them copying. When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. You see, it is the soil that shapes the outcome of the seed. And that's only half the truth, because we know from the rest of Scripture that the soil is what the soil is based on God's predestination and God's election. But we're not talking about that today. You, you can ask yourself, what kind of soil am I? Uh, and, and based on your answer to the question, you can say, oh, so that shows that I've been predestined and elected based on the way that I receive the word. There's only one way to receive the word if you're in that group. But, but the seed itself responds to the soil that's in your heart. The soil has been prepared, and that's for another sermon. But, but if you want to know how you view God, ask yourself, how do you respond to Jesus? Has it been given to you to understand what the seed is all about. Now, everyone gets the same information. The seed is, in one sense, just a body of information about the fact that we are sinners, that we need saving, that God became man in Jesus Christ and came to save us. And then Jesus fulfilled our saving by dying on the cross, the death that we were supposed to die, giving the life that he deserved to us as a free gift, and then resurrecting us to new life in Christ. The word recreates us so that we become like the initial creation. Created, God said, let there be light. In the new Adam, God says, let there be children of God, and we become his children of God. That is the information. But that information today goes out on the internet to people who will respond to it as this is total myth or this is the gospel. 
it will it will be met with two responses but it is a body of of information and you've got to ask yourself how will you respond to this body of information because I said the Bible is vulnerable but you've got to know this as well that the Bible is also extremely resilient what does it mean when something is resilient it means that although the, the, the seed of God's word is just a tiny seed, it looks inconspicuous. Seed can often lie on the ground for many years without, without uh, doing anything. And then someone picks it up and plants it and it grows. It is incredibly resilient. This tiny little seed with its hard shell perhaps around it that protects it from the elements. It is incredibly resilient, incredibly strong. Uh, and although the devil can come and snatch it away, as this passage says, it can also be planted deep in the ground and become an oak tree. It's as small as that, that the wind can blow it away, but yet when you put it underneath a slab of marble, it will grow and it will crack through the marble eventually and a tree might come up from it. That's what this seed is. This seed is incredibly hardy. Yes, you would say it falls in the ground where there's just a little bit of soil and then underneath it perhaps limestone, which was often the case in the ancient Near East. They would farm. Uh, all the soil looks exactly the same. They plant the seeds and then some of them grows and some of them don't. And then when they dig deeper, they find, oh, the soil was only that deep. But, but some seeds, they fall into the ground and there's hard rock underneath and the farmer realizes, oh my goodness, yeah, it's not growing over here. And he starts to hack through the limestone and dig it up and the seed falls into the crevice over there and it finds its resources and it grows. Because the seed is hardy. Yes, it's needy, but the soil can be prepared and the seed can fall in because the seed, well, it's full of potential. It's full of power. It's powerful and that's the last example is that the, the seed can fall in someone's life that is riddled with addictions of various shapes and sizes but when the seed comes into that person's life when it starts to push out the expulsive power of the gospel starts to push out these competing affections and desires and addictions and it makes Christ more beautiful than any of these other competing gods that's going on in your life the seed can be planted and can overwhelm all of these addictions. Why? Because the passage has this triumphal end uh, about the seed. It says, the seed has the potential to bear fruit 30, 60 and 100 fold. Now, I'm not a farmer, but I am the brother of a farmer and the son of a weekend farmer. I can tell you that 30 fold yield on your farming is exponential. It's supernatural. Of course, then 60 times is twice exponential and supernatural. A hundredfold is, you can do the maths. But, but even the first one is trying to communicate that when a seed falls in, the seed, that tiny seed, has incredible potential to feed thousands of people if it were just to, to take root, if it just got in deep enough. So the seed has incredible potential. So what will you do with the seed is the question of Jesus' parable. Jesus, this man from Nazareth, people were looking at him. He had clear authority over 
over demons. He drove out demons. He had clear authority over the religious practices of the day. Remember how he said he was the Lord of the Sabbath. He had clear authority over creation. He would raise people from the dead and he would make the lame walk and the blind see. He had clear authority over death. He would even raise people from the dead. Jesus had clear authority, but he was just a carpenter's son from Nazareth. His followers, well, Jesus, if you looked at Jesus and at the seed that's Jesus, you want to say, it doesn't look very, very powerful to me, a bit like a tiny seed that the wind can blow away or the bird can just come and pluck up like this because his followers were a bunch of washouts and weirdos. It's just a strange bunch of people. The great and the good of the day were not followers of Jesus. In fact, they stood in opposition to him. The Pharisees, they had their arms folded and they looked at Jesus with a skeptical look. Uh, Jesus' own family came and said, he's, he's nuts. But the people that followed him were the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the people that had no standing in society. His disciples were fishermen and tax collectors and zealots. It was just a crazy bunch of washouts and weirdos. And so the question remains, this seed, it looks on the surface because good people are looking at the seed and said, he's a liar, he's a lunatic. But for the washouts and weirdos, they say, he's Lord. The, the, the great and the good says, uh, uh, no, 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 this is too vulnerable. This is too needy. This is too weak. And the washouts and weirdos look at it and say, it's resilient. It's hardy. And it's strong. It's powerful. And when this comes into your life, it bears exponential fruit. If you're not a Christian and you're listening to this, you've got, you've got a logical problem that you have to face in this passage. Uh, and it's a problem that is historical, mainly. It's, it's, and it's this, how do you explain the exponential growth of Christianity in the West if the man who led it was a liar or a lunatic? How do, you, how do you make sense of just the historical rise of Christianity where his disciples, when Jesus was alive, rejected him and hid and ran away and locked themselves in an upper room and were too afraid to becoming these bold witnesses that were walking on the streets. People were even saying they were drunk. Eventually they were martyred for the faith that they, that they professed. But they were preaching and speaking to everyone at all times from every tribe, and background, the church became this multinational, multicolored, uh, multi-ethnic body that just spread over the ancient Near East all throughout the world. How, how do you explain it if not by the very words from John 12 verse 20? This is what Jesus said about his own ministry. Two Greeks come to speak to Jesus and Jesus responds in this enigmatic way. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. You see what Jesus was saying is he is the seed. When he's being sown into your heart, it is the gospel of Jesus' outpouring that is sold, that's, that's sowed into your heart. It is the gospel of God that became a seed that can be planted into your heart. It is the mighty God, the creator of the universe that became a seed that can be planted into your heart. And when you take it in deep enough, it bears fruit. And that's a fundamental difference in the responses to the gospel. It's a question of depth. 
what is, what is the point of the first one that falls on the path? Well, it doesn't go in, it just stays on the soil. The second one, well, it goes in just a little bit about that big and then it hits the, the rocky ground. It doesn't go in deep enough. Well, the next one goes in deep enough, but there's something else on that same level. It's other weeds. And so the gospel seed, as it's sown into our heart, it needs to go in deep. You need to press it in. You need to work it in. You need to wrestle it in. And as you do, it will push out these other false gods. It will push out uh, all, these, all these competing idols of your life, these isms, materialism, racism, uh, and, and alcoholism, or any other addiction. It will push it out. But it's a question of depth. The seed, there's no problem with the seed. It's got great power. There's a problem with the depth that we use it to. So if you're listening to this as a Christian, and I were to ask you now, do you love reading God's word? And you said, no. I've got, I've got to rebuke you, my brother or sister. You're not planting the word deep into your soul. And because you're not planting it deep, you cannot apply it deeply to your soul. If you spend more time reading blogs or devotionals, you're spending more time uh, listening to other people talking about the Bible or about God, but you don't get your nose stuck into the Bible. Don't be surprised when the world and its fears come and overwhelm you. Anxieties of the world, the desires of the world, the current zeitgeist of the world comes and it just knocks you off course. Don't be surprised when that happens. By the authority given to me as a preacher of God's word, I call to you now and say, immerse yourself in God's word. Just pick it up. Just read it. Just read it, just read it, read it, read it. Just drink it, just eat it, just plant it deep. In, work it deep into your soul. Work it deep into your heart. Yesterday we were surprised to learn that during the English Reformation, people would drive from all over, not in comfortable air-conditioned cars, but on horse and cart, to come and listen to sermons that would often last for seven hours. In fact, some of the children that were on the talk, they said they were really surprised to hear that people would preach for two hours and then apologize for preaching too long. And then the crowd says, no, go on, man, go on. Is there a hunger and a thirst for God's word? When, when that word first was translated from Latin and out of, the, out of the cathedrals into people's homes, it started to bear fruit all over the West and it spread the Reformation all over the world. The seed has incredible power. But how will you respond to it? So my last point is the soil. And as we come to the soil, and I've mentioned it a number of times, you can't always divide the passage up neatly into three chunks. You are exploring the vulnerability of your own heart. Are you ready to take that on board? That your heart, you might have been sitting here all the time saying, yeah, preach it, brother, preach it. You, you tell them, you tell them. They need to take the word deep into the... You, no, stop for a moment. Your heart... If it's like mine, and I think it is, is, is deceitful above all things and is vulnerable. We treat God's word in one of these three ways often. And we don't treat it as we should, planting it deep into our hearts. And we need to explore this vulnerability, this brokenness of our hearts, where we at various times and places respond to God in different ways. Uh, and, I, and I wonder... If a bit of clarity will help you, it seems to me that Jesus is very clearly saying that the word comes to the world and it just divides the world into two groups. Those to whom the kingdom has been given and those to whom the kingdom has not been given. 
those to whom the kingdom has not been given, they break up into three responses that we can see. A hard heart, that was the Pharisees. A shallow heart, that was, uh, that was the, the, the crowd. You know, they followed Jesus only because he did the miracles. Or, or then a divided heart, that of Jesus' own family, that hanged on to their reputation a bit more than they should. Uh, and, and did not want Jesus to, to, to bring them down. The, the carpentry business is going to suffer if one of their chief boys is a, is a lunatic running around saying he's Lord of the universe. That's the, that's, those are three ways. But, but those that take the word deep into their hearts are these followers of Jesus. Not yet. We don't see much fruit from them. But later on we will see fruit from them. They plant the word deep into their hearts and say it is true. He is the Lord. And he deserves my submission and my obedience in all spheres of life. Now the trouble is, we hear God's word and often we are tempted to just let it go in shallowly. You listen to the sermon this morning, well it's now afternoon, and you say, yeah that was nice. And you get busy with something else. You just get busy. You just Remember it fell on the path. What's a path? A path is a place where carts go all the time and people walk up and down. The, the ground is hard because people are so busy. Do not believe that lie this morning my friend. Do not let the word just sit on the path as you carry on with life. Do what I've seen being done in my family here more and more. Dwell on the word. Take a notebook, a keepsake. Where you write things in that you want to dwell on. Take time to put your phone aside and just sit with the Bible. And take the word deep in. Stop the busyness of life so that the word can go deep in. You want to ask yourself what kind of soil you are? Are you elect predestined? That conversation is, is not of much worth. The, the key to understanding that question is, is how do I respond to the word? If you find yourself constantly responding in a superficial way, just letting the word sit on the surface, then that's one part of your answer. Another way we can treat the word is, of course, we take it in just below the surface. We like church, a bit like the people that follows Jesus, the crowd. They're there. They're great fun when there's miracles happening and there's food being given out for free and there's all of this exciting stuff happening. But when the persecution start, uh, starts, Jesus is alone. Why? Because not only does the crowd flee from him, but his own disciples flee from him. When persecution comes... When it's hard to stand up for Christ, when it's hard to say, I identify as a Christian in this world, the hashtag that I put behind my name is, is a Christian, child of God. And when it comes to that, that's something I'm very hard pressed to, to make clear to the world around me. Perhaps we must not take the word so superficially, but plant it deep into our hearts, get through the rocks so it can really shape our identity. Kind of soil are you are you the kind of soil that do not want to be out of step with our current religion and that's the third group that's within the weeds we have a religion this world has a religion i think in our current time and place there is a religion and you are going to be unorthodox if you don't buy into this religion uh, it is helpful science i think is extremely helpful in its right place but it cannot be the fundamental and true scientists do not even try to say that we are trying to answer the big questions about the meaning of life. Science is trying to make sense of the world that is around us. But it is up to theology to explain its meaning. But when you start to say, no, science is my God. 
What you put in is what you get out. When you start to say that, uh, that, that I'm only, uh, that the world can be fixed through pure behaviorism, we, we must just change some things on the surface, then everything will be okay. If you start to think that uh, that is the religion of our world, we, we oppose things on the surface, and of course we must go, we, 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 we must do that, but we cannot do that unless we start at our hearts, and, and it starts with us. I know we want to change the world, but for Christ's sake, let us start with our hearts. Plant the gospel deep into your hearts. Otherwise, the weeds of the world will come and just wash it out. It is a surprising thing that Jesus does. The crowd is in front of him. This crowd, this massive crowd, 15,000 people. And he tells them a parable that's on the surface really obvious. And there's two responses to the parable. And I think the biggest response was, I'm quite sure what that meant. Not quite sure of that. It's not a rousing speech that Jesus is saying on top of a soapbox somewhere and everyone goes, yeah! Jesus tells this parable and people go, hmm, huh, I'm not quite so sure what's going on now. But a small group of people, in fact, one quarter of the crowd, well, we can't say it's definitely the numbers, but there's four responses. There's one that accepts and three that they reject. A very small number, a remnant of the people that's in front, they hear the words that Jesus is saying. If you want to know if you're receiving the word this morning, ask yourself just this. How am I responding to Jesus? Do I respond in absolute awe at his beauty? Do I respond with absolute submission to his power? Do I respond to the absolute hardiness of the gospel that he proclaims? Do I respond believing that it is a resilient thing to do to put my faith in him, my refuge? I beg you, I beseech you, I appeal to you. Please respond to Jesus in this way and see how he will bear fruit, supernatural fruit in your life, fruit that you cannot explain. As you look back and you tell the story of your life and you say, I, I just don't, now that I tell you, I just don't know how I ended up in this position where, where people at my work are starting to become Christians. I just don't know how that happened. I just don't know how it happened that I started making choices that on the surface looked foolish, but the fruit of it has been amazing. I've got a stable family. I'm, I'm living a fruitful life as an employee. I've, I've stood up for what is right at work, and, and, and somehow it's just come. Do not be surprised because the fruit of the gospel is supernatural. You cannot explain that I put this in and I got this because you, you just put submission in and you get all of this out, fruitfulness. Now, warning, that's why he's using uh, seed. It takes time. It takes time. I did think of doing this with the children this morning where I thought, let me take a seed because we've got some little seed beds out there that we're trying to raise some stuff. And I said, okay, at the beginning of the sermon, let's just see how small they are and we'll measure it at the end to see how much it's grown. And you would have laughed because it would not have grown. Well, you don't know how long I'll preach. So it's a, a very... <laughs> It's a very interesting thing that the kingdom comes incredibly slowly. Set your expectations correctly. Okay, brothers and sisters, I'm going to stop with that. And I pray that the word of God will find good soil in your heart this day and that you will talk about it much with one another. I'm now going to pray for us and then we're going to confess our faith together and we're going to recite the Heidelberg Catechism together and we'll sing together and then we'll Zoom together if you still have energy left. So let me uh, pray for us uh, now and then we will move on.
Our Father in heaven, we come to you as people that are deeply dependent on your word to shape us. And we ask that as we listen and reflect on the word that we've heard this morning, we will respond to you correctly. Father, in this current time of our history, we are particularly mindful of what happened between uh, Paul and Peter in Galatians 2. Uh, Peter, it turns out, became a racist. He's a Christian that, by Paul's rebuke, uh, let go uh, of the gospel. And he started to behave in a way that is not in parallel or in step with the gospel that he believes. Now, Father, if, if Peter can do this, who has seen you, seen your miracles, who's seen your transfiguration, who's seen your power, who has been assured that you love him in spite of his betrayal, if Peter can be the one that can quickly slip into this position of treating one group different from another just based on their ethnicity, then we know we are fully prone to do the same. So with that in view, Father, we come confessing our sin to you. But we don't do that lightly. We come doing it, planting the gospel deep into our hearts. And this is what we do, Father. We think on Jesus that did not stay in heaven, but, but took on uh, another ethnicity, not just that, another nationality, no, not just that, another nature by becoming man. And then not just any man, but a servant of servants, one that would die on the cross Jesus, you became a seed for us in order to die so that you will produce fruit. And we are the fruit. Father, as we dwell on this gospel, we can see how incongruous, how irrational it is to think of ourselves better as anyone else. Oh, Father, lead us to deep repentance. Plant, plant the word deep into our souls when it comes to this one issue. And let us repent of that. Father, there's others of us that has to repent of anxiety. Anxiety because somehow we believe, somehow we don't believe the gospel, the seed, and it has not been planted deep into our hearts. And we become anxious because we're unwell or we're trying to get pregnant, but we can't. What if? Or we are pregnant and unhealthy. What if? Or we are anxious because our work is in jeopardy and what if? And, and, and we look at all of the things that produces anxiety in our lives, unhappy and unfulfilled at work. Uh, uh, all, of, all of these things, Father, it takes hold of our minds and it's like, it's like we're in a vice grip and our brains cannot think of anything else but this. Father, let the seed of the gospel please be planted deep into our hearts and would you break through that anxiety and remind us that you left heaven in order to become a man so that a man and a child of Jesus can become a child of God. We have a father in heaven who knows our needs even before they arise and you will not leave or forsake us. Father, plant that, deep, that word deep into our hearts. Father, we pray that there will not be a weed left standing in our lives but that we will constantly be finding ourselves de-weeding, uprooting sin as it's growing or trying to grow in our lives. And that we will do that not in our own strength, but by the power of the gospel. We will dwell on the gospel, the, the life, death and the resurrection of Jesus. As we dwell on that, 
it will just displace these deceitfulness of the of 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 money the anxieties of the world and the cares of the world if we just displace these things and put them in proportion so we pray father we also then actively pray for the persecution of christians in nigeria father there is a silent genocide according to reports not ones that's making the mainstream media but there is a silent genocide going on in nigeria and we come to you in the name of jesus christ pleading that you will bring an end to the killing that is taking place village to village and that you father in your great kindness and your great grace will stop uh, this that you will bring light and life uh, to a region that has heard your gospel with so many christian brothers and sisters in that country who are being persecuted for their faith where they are vulnerable where they little rural farming communities are being chased down villages burned down the things happening to them too awful to tell Father, we pray, strengthen the resolve of the British government. Strengthen the resolve to stand against the silent genocide. And let them stand up against it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you will stop the ongoing onslaught on the lives of the unborn in this country. Father, we pray, it grieves us to see how extreme abortion measures are being put forward and agreed uh, in Parliament and, and, and life made in your image is being killed and marred. Father, we cry out to you, do not let the numbers number us. Not the numbers of abortions, not the numbers of people dying because of COVID. Do not let the numbers numbers. But let we count each and every life precious in your sight. Let us mourn and lament the death of brothers and sisters all over the world. Father, we pray, we pray that you'll bring peace in our world, that you will bring reconciliation and that you will let the church lead the way by being a community of, of people that are astonished by grace. Please, Father, all over the world, we ask, bring your peace. Would you let, would you let the church lead the way and loving and caring for one another across whatever divide the world has put before us? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.